Levo to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Levo just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Leibold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on, everyone? Welcome. Episode number 86, Hockey to Hell and Back. Of course, I'm Brady Liebold coming at you guys live from beautiful, snowy Muskoka, Ontario. It's cold out here, too. I'm going to get to that in a minute. If you're watching live, thank you so much for, for being here. If you're listening after the fact, thank you so much. If you're here because of the province news story, thank you. If you found this show, shout out to my guy, Dan Fimano with the province out there in Vancouver. 
I honestly have to hold back tears because the outpour of support um, and honestly, the people uh, for the last two years that have shared their stories, and I'm sure my guests, we're going to talk a little bit about this because she's done this a lot longer than I have, uh, but it's it's been remarkable. And I owe so much of it where I'm at today uh, based on the support and the feedback that I've gotten over the last two years. So thank you so much. I don't take it lightly, not one bit. Um, we talked about it earlier, just a few minutes ago with my guest behind the stage, one day at a time, sometimes one second at a time. And um, that's what it comes down to. I'm really excited uh, to get this show going. Um, but before I do, I want to trade in my puck support toque tonight for another great cause. Coldest nights of the year. I, uh, I am the team captain of team puck support, but... That's neither here nor there. If you want to be part of the team, you can do so. Uh, if you want to take part in the walk up here in Gravenhurst, you can do so February 26th. So the coldest night of the year, uh, it goes uh, all across Canada and the world. It's a wonderful organization and they support local charities. In this case, Gravenhurst Against Poverty. That's where I live, Gravenhurst. And uh, they provide meals and resources for those in need, which is obviously very close to my heart. As you guys know, I was homeless for a time and and went to food banks and know what it was like to have no place to go and to be hungry and all those things. And it's, it's not very fun. Um, sometimes there's underlying issues, but at the end of the day, these issues are happening right here in Canada. And if you saw some of the things that I saw, and I'm sure I haven't even seen the worst of it. You wouldn't even believe that there's people living uh, in conditions that they're living in in this country. So uh, I've teamed up with Gravenhurst Against Poverty and Coldest Nights of the Year. So on February 26th, there's walks all over the country, all over everywhere, including one here in Gravenhurst. I'm going to be walking in that walk. If you want to join, you can do it virtually or get out there to one of your local uh, events and do it. And regardless of where you live, you can take part. You can either join my team. You can donate to my team. You can start your own team. However you want to get involved involved um just do something i encourage all of you whether it's this or something else get out there and be of service it does a lot of good so that's what this yellow toque is all about i'm going to throw it over to one sponsor uh, and we'll be right back with kendra fisher pocket of hell and back is brought to you by pride tape pride tape is a badge of support from teammates coaches parents and pros to young lgbtq players it shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to Aubrey at PrideTape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, -E, Aubrey at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to our friends over there at Pride Day. Make sure you support them. Check them out on social media and you can play Project. We've been with them for almost a year now and uh, they continue to do amazing work in all sports. Make sure you check them out. Do your thing and support all those great causes. I believe we can all be doing more, uh, but we're taking great strides. However, that moves me into what we're all here for. I'm sure you guys get sick of hearing me talk enough. 
I know I certainly do. Um, so I'm not going to go into a long, drawn-out introduction. I really want Kendra to come on here, and I know she's shared her story a million times, but maybe we can do something a little different this time. Uh, but Kendra really caught my attention. She's been doing essentially the work that I'm trying to do for a lot longer than I have before it was um, – even more widely accepted than it is today. She took a chance a lot of years ago, shared her story in hopes of helping others. And that's pretty inspiring. And her story is very, very powerful, very powerful and resonated with me because I had something similar at a breaking point in my hockey career where just it became too much and at time, different times. And I walked away and it, it put me on different trajectories and, and all of that. So her story is very important. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. She's now a firefighter. She should be in bed. She's reminded me four or five times. Uh, she's got to be up early. So without further ado, let's bring her in. My friend, Kendra Fisher. Kendra, how are you? I'm good. You? Oh, I'm doing great. Better now that you're here. I feel like I have less stress on me. Now you can do the talking. That's it, eh? Just, I already told you, I'm, I'm already in bed. Like, once we're done this, I'm just going to lay down. That's all right. That's all right. I, I appreciate your time. And as I said, uh, prior to coming on here, I'm sorry that it took so long. And sometimes I, you know, it's you're not the first person that I've had this conversation with on that podcast, but it seems that when they have happened, they've happened right at the right time. So just grateful for your time. And also, thank you um, for being essentially a pioneer in this space and and taking a chance all those years ago for, for making uh, people like myself uh, just having people to look up to and, and being more comfortable sharing my story so you're one of those people and I'm just grateful for you I appreciate that thanks so much so tell us tell us a little bit about Kendra Fisher you were a phenomenal young um, goalie uh, breaking barriers down at a young age playing AAA with the first uh, to play AAA boys uh, in your area down there with high hopes of one day playing for Team Canada. Walk us through your journey uh, through hockey a little bit, Kendra, if you don't mind. Yeah, hockey hockey ages me in a whole different way. Um, so growing up where I was kind of rural Ontario, we didn't have girls hockey yet. So I actually did grow up playing with the boys and loved it. I, you know, I played with the guys right through to a midget AAA. Uh, not midget AAA anymore. What is it now? Like U16 or U18 or something like that? So confusing, isn't it? it it's different. <laughs> and so, and so uh, it, you know, kind of when women's hockey started to hit, hit my radar uh, and I learned about the opportunities and the possibility of playing, you know, with Team Canada, that quickly became my focus. And so uh, really that was that was everything to me that was my life everything kind of became very focused on how do I get there and, and what do I have to do to make it happen um, and very gratefully you know had the opportunity to get to that level uh, unfortunately it uh, wasn't the best timing but you know it was it was absolutely an honor Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. So you have this dream of, of playing for Team Canada and you get yourself to a point where you're now a carded member of Team Canada, essentially making the team. Um, and right in around that time is when you really started to, to maybe notice your mental illness. Is that fair to say? Um, or recognize that it was starting to have a, maybe a major impact on what your surroundings were? Yeah. So you know, it's weird because I every time I tell this story and the more I learn and the further I get in my journey, I look back and it's like, how did I not see this sooner? You know, if, you know, looking back now, you could have diagnosed me when I was five. Um, but in terms of how it impacted my day to day life, uh, it was very much 
uh, following high school and and the year leading up to ultimately what led to me quitting Team Canada. Um, I had gotten into a car accident and I fractured a vertebrae in my back and it, you know, I, I was laid up for a while and I think it was the first time in my life that I, I was not doing the things that were managing to keep it all at bay that were kind of keeping me in a place where I was so physically active. I was so engaged. I was so socially engaged. I had a routine, um, you know, I ate somewhat healthy to support all those things. So kind of all the things that you have to have in place to maintain good mental health, I was just doing by default. It wasn't intentional to manage my mental health. It was just being an athlete. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, that was when it started to kind of fall apart. All of a sudden I was laying on my couch in my my condo and started to notice, you know, subtle changes and then it started to get not so subtle and all of a sudden I felt like I was having a heart attack every day and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't leave my apartment and I I just shut down um and this was also back when you know mental health wasn't at the forefront of what any medical provider was going to suggest um you know so I ended up with a specialist for everything and I had a doctor for everything and everybody told me how healthy I was and, and not once did anybody say you know, we, maybe we need to consider this other avenue. And so unfortunately, you know, it, it kind of hit this perfect storm. I, I recovered physically. My back was strong again. I was ready to go to Team Canada camp that year. And uh, I got out there somehow. And and after the first day of camp, I realized I just I couldn't hide it anymore. I, you know, at that point in my life, I, I couldn't leave my apartment anymore. I couldn't be alone anymore. Uh, I had just spent a year drinking essentially as they were trying to figure out how to diagnose me um i couldn't manage it i had no coping tools i didn't know what i was living with and i just I couldn't be there anymore i couldn't hide it and so it was it was literally the day that team canada told me i made the roster that i quit um and i had to i had to come home that was uh is that 1999 or is that later 99, 99. I'm not, I'm not going to ask how old you 99 doesn't matter. You're, right? you're, we're not trying to age you here. I'm just trying to, <laughs> trying to make people understand what, where we're talking with a, a reference of time into the period of mental health and, and especially in the sport of hockey. Like, yeah. wow. Wow. Um, not only are you being told, Hey, you're healthy. People aren't understanding what's going on with you. You're, you're not really understanding because there's no answers no. being told. And at the same time, you're trying to keep up with this champion's mentality of being at the top of your game. Um, that must have been a lot. Do you think that possibly played into it as well? Was there some stress from from playing and, and making that, like achieving your goal? Like it was right there. Was it like, did that add, was that added pressure for you or was it just all kind of unfolding so quickly? You know, there was this moment when I went to the coaches of team Canada that the second day of, of that camp, actually, um, that night I had kind of, I, I had lied to them. I told them that my grandma happened to live in Calgary and had been taken to the hospital. My family was coming out to be with her. And I had left the camp that night just because I knew I couldn't be in the dorm room with my teammates. There was no way that with that constant presence, I was going to be able to hide that I wasn't at my best. And 
at that time, I still thought if I kept up that illusion of I'm at my best, there was still hope. There was still, there was still potential. Um, and I left for that night and I came back the next morning and I, I met with the coaches and, you know, I, I told them, I, t- I told them something's wrong with me, you know, and at that point I was thoroughly convinced it was something to do with my heart. You know, there was, it was just constantly revolved around, I can't breathe. My heart's pounding out of my chest. It feels like it's skipping beats. I can't swallow. I'm like lightheaded. And, uh, I told them, you know, I'd been to the doctors. I was doing everything that is right. You know, I was taking all the right steps. I, I wasn't, wasn't ignoring it. I just didn't have an answer yet. And so, you know, I sat down with them and I explained this to them and, uh, that was their response. You know, would it help? I need to know you've already made the team, you know, does that, is that it? Are we going to get rid of the stress here by, by letting you know that you've already made the team? Um, you know, and, and I'll never forget it. I mean, I mean, it's, it's the moment that I had waited to hear my whole life. Um, but I wish I could forget it because it didn't, it didn't help. You know, it was never hockey that, it was never hockey that made me feel it. Hockey was my safe space. Hockey was the only place in the world that that chaos kind of stopped for a minute. And I know that that's just ironic given the fact that I stood in a crease and let people shoot things at my head. But, you know, that was, that made sense to me. It it was no thought. It was just, it was muscle memory. It was, it was meditative. It, you know, that was my, that was my safe space. If I was having a good game. You could have been standing two feet away from me screaming my name and I never would have heard you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I appreciate the question and I appreciate it mostly because there is this assumption that, you know, high stress, high level elite athlete, high stress position, um, you know, of course, but uh, no, you know, there were certainly times when my illness made it difficult for me to play my position. Um, but it wasn't about the position. It was about the fact that I was on the ice trying to hide that I was having a panic attack and I was terrified because the play was in the other end. And, you know, I was convinced I was going to drop dead on the ice. And I, that was the anxiety. It wasn't the sport, you know, in, in so many ways, hockey's, you know, a lot of the reason I'm still here. Oh, wow. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard a few of your, your interviews and, and you talk about, and we can get into a little bit if you want to share um, the diagnosis that you were eventually able to get maybe before we get there. And this is a question that I kind of had, cause I wasn't able to find too much about it was what, what did Kendra's Kendra Fisher's life look like after making that decision? Like how, I, you know, like it was, cause it seems like you're in a really good place today, but that, that was a number of years ago. And so if you don't mind, like, mm-hmm that's a pretty big decision to make. And, you know, I've made similar ones that weighed on me heavily after I'm now in a place where it's like, Hey, you know, I went through what I went through and I'm where I'm at, but certainly uh, there's resentment towards the game and and different things for a long time. I'm just kind of curious if you had some of the similar things happen to you. I mean, underline when it came to hockey, you know, and, and I kind of have to compartmentalize this because it's, it's kind of different pieces of the puzzle. Um, when it came to hockey, there was definitely that period of wanting to feel sorry for myself and, and hating that I had had to walk away and certainly, you know, struggled watching and not that I didn't want 
others to be successful, but struggled knowing that, you know, I was in the mix and, you know, I'd turn on the TV during the Olympics and, and have those moments. And, and again, not saying that I would have, it would have been my position, but the possibility was so there. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's heavy sometimes. But when it came to my life, you know, when I walked away, I was a shadow of myself. I, I mean, I, I barely existed for five years. For five years, I didn't leave my condo except to play hockey um, because I was which, given which, a choice. And I just want to interject for a sec. You were still able, like you still accomplished a lot in hockey after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have uh, maybe been a little bit more clear. I know a little bit more about your hockey career after that, but not so much about your personal life. But you were yeah. able to get, you know, playing in the SO National Cup, getting the goalie of the, the tournament in 2002 i think and yeah. you know, so you know playing the cwhl and getting drafted and, and all this stuff so hockey was still essentially your safe space so i just wanted to share those facts no with, for sure with, it, it was my only space you know I, I i did not leave my apartment except for hockey i could not be alone um so i mean when you when you break it down it, it was really my doctors uh, my psychologist who who I met shortly after I left Team Canada, gratefully, um, and, and my parents basically said, "Look, you're not going to lay down and die. You're, you're, you got to keep something. Don't care what it is, but one commitment. You got to keep one commitment. Don't care if it's hockey, school, work. Uh, don't care if you want to start knitting. You're going to keep one commitment. Um, and hockey was the only thing that made sense because it was the least. It was the least effort for me, which sounds ironic i know you get it but i hear you on that one yeah it's the thing that took the least in terms of preparation for me and getting myself into a headspace for it because it made the most sense to me but to do that i mean my life was i could no longer be alone and when i say i couldn't be alone i wouldn't sit in a room by myself like if you got up and went to the bathroom i'd follow you I wasn't, I wasn't secure or safe being in a room by myself. Um, you know, I, I couldn't sleep anymore. I was down to 120 pounds. I, I was a mess. I I couldn't leave my place. So when I was still playing hockey, you know, it was, people saw that I still had this great hockey career and people saw that I was still showing up and, and, you know, putting up the numbers. Um, but it would take about three hours to get to an arena that was about a half hour away because I couldn't drive on the highway because I'd have a panic attack. Um, I would have to get somebody to drive me because I couldn't drive because I was having panic attacks. I'd have to pull over like 20 times before I got to the arena. By the time I got to the arena, I was just gassed because it's exhausting. Um, I would get through the game. My teammates didn't have a clue what was going on. I was going to ask you, I was yeah. going to ask, that was my next question for you, actually. Yeah, my teammates had no clue. My my coach knew um, and my trainer knew and my trainer would keep, you know, electrolytes in a water bottle for me at the bench. And, you know, more than once I, I, I was probably known for a period there um, for maybe having a loose strap on my pad once or twice. And you know, it was usually just because I was having a panic attack and I needed to catch my breath. Um, so it would give me an excuse to get down on the ice and, and just really focus on breathing for a sec. 
Wow. And and you see, this is the thing, right? And you're playing uh, like the highest level, aside from yeah. the Olympics at the time, like, you know, you're playing in pro, you know, pro women's leagues and the highest level you drafted, I think, was ninth overall by Toronto. And, and yeah. back, uh, I think it was 2013, 14, somewhere in there. Out there, yeah. It's Sorry, earlier, I'm all in front of me, but I have some, my memory is serving me kind of tonight. But Think about that for a second. If just if you're watching this or listening to this, and you know, let's just put ourselves in the position as a spectator in the stands watching, you know, you got your kids there, young, young girls watching and aspiring to be these women on the ice. Um, and everything looks good. And you have the goal, the goalie, Kendra Fisher, um, you know, essentially having a loose pad strap because she is having a panic attack and this is the reality that, and, and you're not alone, right? Like this is, yeah. this stuff happens and it's not talked yeah. about. And um, I think it's so important. And I just appreciate like, these are the stories that just, you don't usually get to hear. And um, yeah. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm very sorry that you had to go through that, but I'm so thankful that you've worked through it and that you're able to share it now. And sorry to continue on. I just had to, had to jump in there for a second. No, no, I, I appreciate it. Um, no, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's the one piece that always made me jealous of players who have the same issues. Cause at least you guys got to get off the ice every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, at least there's that reprieve of being able to get to the bench and, and regroup and, and kind of let your guard down for a second. And that was the hardest part. It was on those really horrible days, um, you know, having to, to keep up that level of, of attentiveness for, you know, it's you're playing three twenties. You've got your floods between, and heaven forbid, it's a televised game. Then you got your commercials and everything else too, and you're just trying to keep it together long enough. And by the time the game ended, I was I was done. Like I would, it would take me a full day to recover. I'd just sleep the next day because not because of the game, but just the exhaustion of anxiety and panic and fighting that constantly. And and trying to keep that together as a goalie for a hockey team is is so I, I can't even imagine because I've not I've never played goalie since I played goalie one time. I'll share the story with you, Kendra, when I was I think I was like eight years old. It was like you when tell you tell me how easy it is we're fighting. No, you rotate no, 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 no. <laughs> you rotate goalies, right? So it's your turn today, your turn today. But I was, you know, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but I was like the leading goal scorer on the team at eight years old, right? Every team's yeah. got like one ringer essentially in the minor hockey on the team. 100%. Well, I put in I put put on the pads. It was like eight one. We were losing after like the first period, and I'm screaming, yelling at my dad. I'm taking these pads off. Somebody else has <laughs> gotta go in net. I never played goal, not even street hockey, nothing, zero. Yeah. So but yeah. people have to understand that, you know, that the mood of a goalie in a room um, can can sometimes make or break a team if if players can feed off a goalie's energy. And, um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, just how hard that would have been. But hearing the, the things and it's important to highlight again, I think that it wasn't hockey related. This was yeah. this, this is just life. And this is stuff that you had been dealing with since you said you were five years old. Mm-hmm. Um do you mind sharing with us um, the some of the diagnoses or all of the diagnoses? You have, you have a, a couple, and there's a couple that I will butcher if I say. And I like you, I'm multi-diagnosed as well. So I just yeah. just for the the viewers and we're both overachievers. It's it's all good. Um, yeah. So my original diagnosis was a generalized anxiety disorder. I also live with a severe panic disorder with severe panic attacks. Uh, when my anxiety and panic attacks got bad, I became agoraphobic. Um, 
I also live with obsessive compulsive disorder and clinical depression. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and they all kind of feed each other, right? I mean, when one's bad, the next one's worse. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of this cycle. So this was, you, you mentioned the first five years after sort of, you know, you just kind of sur- were essentially surviving with these diagnoses, oh. right? And um, was there a period of time though where, um, and you can touch on this a little bit, I, I think I know your answer where the way that you live your life today a little bit, but was there a time when you were really leaning towards uh, pharmaceuticals and the pills? And the reason why I say this, and I want to be clear, like I'm not a doctor, no one's a doctor. I just share my experiences and so for some people they're great and for some people they're not. And I just think it's important um, for anybody listening or watching that if it works for you that's great and i just think that it took me a long time to figure out what works for me i'm just curious because sometimes there's people that are either too scared to either try that or too scared to try something else even though it may or may not be yeah. working right yeah. so well and there's still so much of a stigma around it right yeah. nobody wants to be medicated for mental illness and and there's the the conversation around it making you numb and making you somebody you're not and you know it's it's an unfortunate stigma because, uh, you know, like you said, for some people, it's going to be in the difference between life or death. Um, that uh, the first medication, I'll back up for a sec. So before I was diagnosed, um, there was about a year there that I, you know, the only reprieve I had was drinking. Um, and it was, I was functional, but it, it was excessive. Um, and it was simply just, that was like my, that was that breather. That was that space. That was that nobody's giving me answers. Everybody's telling me I'm fine. I know I'm not fine. And I couldn't tolerate the level of chaos and the extent of the kind of intensity of it all without some buffer. And that became the buffer. Um, you know, fast forward to that, camp and you know I came home and I remember I spent the next five days just kind of existing between my condo and there was this park bench outside my condo right down at Young and Queens Key and I just kind of rotated between that bench and my condo trying to figure out what I just done you know I just I just I just walked away from my dream I just walked away from my life as far as I was concerned um and there was something horribly wrong with me that nobody was telling me and fortunately uh shortly thereafter team canada called and and i was introduced to my psychologist who i was so so incredibly like offended by the fact that anybody called me and said you need a psychologist i was like i no i don't like i just made team canada i I don't need a shrink um and didn't quite grasp that still for another month or two until i got my diagnosis and when i got my diagnosis i was i was started on medication right away um and I maintained that medication probably mostly out of fear because it had taken me so much to work up to taking that medication that I didn't want to have to play with it. I didn't want to have to change it. I didn't want it to not be the answer. I wanted it to be what medication's supposed to be, which is it's going to make you better. Um, that medication did not make me better. That medication uh, very much did not help. Um, I, it, uh, I think it helped in that it kept me alive, but it, but it put me in some pretty extreme kind of 
you know, the, the suicidal ideation, the depression, it, it really exacerbated that side of my, my diagnosis where it alleviated some of the anxiety and some of the panic. So it, it was surviving was tolerable ish. Um, but for five years, I just went through the motions. Like it was, it was very much by the end of five years, if there's not better than this, I don't want this. You know, I don't, I'm not up for this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And uh, gratefully, the next medication I found is actually the medication I've been on for 20 years now. Um, and I've been very fortunate. You know, I've, I'm, I'm able to kind of mitigate my symptoms with the same medication just by adjusting dose. And I, I you know, I could tell you, like, I have to up my dose in October. It's a given. Uh, you know, I can... I can get right down to the minimum dose for, you know, May, June, July, August, September. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's certainly part of my recovery in terms of medication. It's certainly not um, the be all and say all, you know, in the beginning, it killed the extremes enough for me to learn what I was living with. But as I kind of got my feet back under me, then I learned all the other things that I have to do to actually feel good and to actually be healthy. Like working out and yeah. meditating and, yeah. and all this stuff. And I think, you know, a lot of it, you touched on, um, you know, is throughout your childhood, you, you, for your mental health, it was the routine, the hockey, exactly. the social. But I think as we get older, it's, you know, a lot of us, I think I look around, it's not hard to see that most people get very disconnected from that, especially nowadays. And um, yeah. again, um, like you, I, I was under the impression that it's like, okay, well, if I'm feeling a certain way, I can just find, there's a pill out there that's going to just make it all better. And yeah. That was not the case for me. And then it no. became, for me, it became like, oh, well, doesn't work anyways. What the hell is the difference? Like, you know, and then you, then I just gave up instead of realizing that there's a whole process to yeah. getting, you know, essentially emotionally well or taking care of our, our well-beings, our wellness, whatever you want to call it. And I'm kind of yeah. curious if you don't mind sharing. And I, I do want to get into as well um, your time with the inline team because it's very cool that you kind mm -hmm. of, essentially um came back and won a couple gold medals anyways um <laughs> with team canada just on yeah. a different team and i think it's 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 amazing and i want to know more about that as well so you can kind of take it whatever direction you want to go with that because i think it's very very cool people need to hear that that's kind of where you're at and i don't know if you're still playing or not but it was it's very cool to see how it kind of just all unfolded yeah i uh for me like i said you know i hit that kind of five years of of treading water and and mostly drowning and uh once i kind of got to that place it was this very my mentality got to be very much you know it's either got to get better or i'm done like i i was i was on the ledge and not i wasn't going to do another day of that existence it, it wasn't an option to me it was so painful and exhausting all the time um and so like you said you know i i we have this notion of medicine we have this notion of of you know medication and and how it's supposed to work because we're taught traditionally that when you take medication it's to cure the illness you know you 
you take a Tylenol, it makes the headache go away. You have a cold, you get put on antibiotics, it clears up the infection. You know, it's it, it's very kind of cut and dry. And then you get to like this horrible place where you have this realization that, you know, every medication's possibly the right one, possibly the really wrong one. You're going to have to tweak it. You're going to have to pay attention. You're going to have to participate. You know, you're going to have to advocate for yourself and yeah. really understand what positives are coming from it, what negatives are coming from it, what do you need to make better and where can where's your foundation you know like where do you need to be so that you can take the next steps and once i found that i mean gratefully i'm a fairly motivated person you know i'm not somebody who i, I like being coached i i like being told go try abc and if abc don't work come back to me um and so it wasn't it wasn't really difficult for me when people started giving me suggestions once I kind of had that baseline to be like, okay, like cardio it, it is going to affect your mental health. And that sucks. Like I'm a goalie. I'm not a runner. Um, but you tell me to go run and you tell me it's going to make me feel better. I'm going to go run and we're going to see. And so I kind of started picking up those habits. And like you said, the mindfulness, the meditation, the you know, getting a good sleep habit, understanding how sleep affects mental health, understanding. Yeah, sorry, how to... sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Um, you, you know, and understanding how nutrition affects mental health and, you know, kind of getting back to those basics too, staying connected, actually having a support network in place, making sure that you have people other than yourself that can keep you accountable in the moments that you don't have your best interest in mind, you know, having some people who are willing to, you know, offer a bit of that tough love when it's, you know, okay, look, you laid on the couch one day, I'll hug you. You lay down the couch a second day. We're going to talk about why you're still laying there. And on the third day, I'm going to tell you to get your ass up and get going again. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's really learning that routine for yourself and, and setting those parameters and setting it and practicing it so that, y you know, if you're practicing on your best days, on your worst days, it's muscle memory. If you try to figure these things out on your worst days, you're just drowning and trying to learn how to swim once it's too late. Um, and, and so for me, it, it took years, you know, it took another five years to really master that, you know, I got through this 10 year period from, you know, 2000 to 2010, where I went from, like, I disappeared from the world for five years, but nobody noticed because I was still on the ice. And then, you know, the next five years, I, I was really learning how to manage this. And then I got to this place where it was like, hey, nobody needs to know about this. I'm good. Like I'm, I'm gold. I can fake it. Everybody thought I was still a great hockey player. So I could, I could just fake that I had gotten through these 10 years and nobody was any the wiser. Um, and then actually 2010, my, my first uh, step into inline, I happened to know the goalie that uh, played for, for Team Canada's inline hockey. And we'd played hockey together for years. Um, our paths had crossed a lot. Everybody kind of knew, one, I, I wasn't thought of as a horrible goalie, so I had that going for me. And uh, I had some flexibility in my schedule, and, and people knew that because I was working for myself. 
And she actually blew her knee out a few weeks before Worlds. And so some of the girls on the team called me up and they're like, we need a goalie for Worlds. And I was like, I've never played inline hockey before. Like, I, I never have played inline hockey before. Like, that's not a good idea. You want me to just go to Worlds? Um, and secretly in the back of my head, panicking, because even though I'm at this place now in 2010 where I am like leaps and bounds better than I was 10 years before that, I hadn't traveled. I had, you know, I, I still measured where I was going by my distance to a hospital. Like, okay, this is a, this is a safe place to go because if I need the ER, it's like 17 kilometers. And I like, I mean, you'd be surprised how many locations I could tell you how many kilometers it is to a hospital. This, this is something I just want to, you can talk as much or as little as you want about. I heard you in a couple of your interviews talking about, this is something that has, that essentially you've been dealing with as a kid. Like if just oh, this, yeah. this fear and this uh, and different things. And so I think it's, you know, and this is not uncommon. This is really no, not uncommon. No. Um, I think there's just not a whole lot of people talking about it. So thank you for, for sharing this all with us, Kendra. Yeah. Like it's not that thing you ever want to admit, right? Like your, your friends are are packing up for a road trip and they're like, yeah, we're going away to a cottage. And I'm like, okay, so if anything happens and I need to get to the hospital, if that road's closed cause it's snowing and that road's not paved and the closest town is 20 kilometers, but they don't actually have an emergency room. It's 40 kilometers to the, like it's, it took some, you know, I'm not very good at math, but I was really good at figuring that out. Um, and so I remember that year, you know, they called me and I kind of had this moment of, you know, I, I think I can do it. Like, I, I think I'm there. I think I'm okay. And I, aside from the fact that I'd never played inline hockey before, I think I can do it. And again, once again, you know, to me, the worry wasn't whether or not I'd figure out the hockey part of it. That was fine i'm on rollerblades now but i'll sort that out um the problem for me was getting on a plane and flying to uh, worlds that year we're in Beirut in the czech republic uh just outside of prague and i'm like i haven't left my apartment let alone <laughs> like ventured off to the other side of the world so i i actually called up one of my teammates who I had no clue, you know, what I'd been through. And I was like, look, I need, I need like a safe person. Like I, I'll do this. I'll come, but I need a safe person. I, I don't need you to understand it. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to, you don't have to carry this. I just need to know if I'm not okay, you're going to get me to somewhere where somebody can help me. Um, and gratefully she took that on. And, uh, so I started practicing for the next few weeks, what it was like to wear goalie pads and, and, Rollerblades. Um, I just want to jump in. There's a few questions and comments, but since we're on the topic, uh, Brody says, "How was the switchover from ice to inline?" Insane. There you go. (laughs) It was was insane, and I loved it. You know, it was it was this really cool place where, you know, I I had kind of resigned myself to my playing career being done at a national level, and then I had this great opportunity. And at the same time, I got to learn this whole other sport that I knew nothing about. And athletically, I found it so much more uh, challenging because, you know, your lateral movement on ice is easy. You slide your lateral movement on, you know, on the floor is is very precise (laughs) or or you end up looking like you're really out of sorts. 
so yeah, I mean, I spent a few weeks kind of trying to learn it and by no means was I at my best yet, but I went over there and I, I gave it my all, but you know, it was, it was kind of this double-edged, you know, victory for me. We didn't, we didn't win that year. I think we got bronze maybe that year. Um, how, how many, how many worlds have, have you played in? Do you remember? There's, there's a few, but there's a couple golds in there too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I won gold in Colombia and in Italy. Uh, I've also played in Prague. I've played in California. I've played in uh, France. It's amazing, China. right? Isn't that amazing, right? Yeah. Like you think that yeah. this door is closed and then this other one takes you in this yeah. similar path, but this whole new direction and it's amazing. And I'm just, um, I kind of curious as to like, how, how was that experience for you? Here you are, you're, um, you know, you went over there. Was there times and as the years progressed within line and you're, did these fears subsidize for you and, 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 and all of that and, and moving forward, like as the years go on, obviously you started to share your story, Kendra. So yeah. were your teammates maybe a little bit more in the know once that started to happen, or did you start to share with them prior to you kind of being openly public about it? No. So I actually started speaking in 2010. So the first time I shared my story, um, was, sadly after uh the passing of luke richardson's daughter darren yes and she had taken her own life and i i was at the uh head office for the ontario women's hockey associations uh and i remember i was sitting at the desk there and and the president of the organization came in and she had a, a memorial with her and she kind of set it on the desk next to me unintentionally and i, I kind of looked it over and and it was Darren's memorial. They had just come from the funeral. Darren was part of the under 16 program at that time. And uh, I, I just remember in that moment, my every part of me just realized I was part of the problem. You know, every part of me in that moment was here I am, somebody who went from making Team Canada hockey to I wasn't going to survive to flying across the world by myself to play worlds and, you know, bear run. And I was embarrassed to admit my journey. I was embarrassed to admit everything I'd been through. And, uh, you know, so I started sharing my story that year, but I still managed to keep it pretty separate. None of my teammates really ever kind of approached me about it. I don't know. I don't know if it was too awkward for them or if it was too awkward, if they thought it would be too awkward for me. Um, you know, traveling as much as I did with inline, you know, I, I had to have a pretty open relationship with the, the, the organization anyway, um, team Canada inline. And I, I kind of just had to make sure that again, I, I just, I had a safe space where I was, you know, for me, you, you know, you typically you'd go over and you'd room with a teammate and you'd, I'd always have to make sure that I knew I had my own room. Um, simply because if my anxiety was too bad, if I was panicking too much, I needed to know I had a place to go to that I didn't have to hide. I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to put on a show. I didn't have to keep up appearances. I could do what I needed to do to get through it. And when that wasn't possible, I needed to kind of be able to dictate, you know, I need one of these very few people as my roommate, again, not as a personal preference, just as a there's not a lot of people who know what I live with. And 
also not a lot of people that I'd feel comfortable falling apart in front of. And, and that was kind of my measure. My measure was who's going to be able to tolerate me at my worst <laughs> and, and how am I going to get through that? How uh, it's pretty, you know, I think about it and, you know, I think when I hear this and it's like, Oh, it's, it's not personal preference. This No, it's because here you are and we need to meet people where they're at. And I just think of all the times where I was, like just for example, a rookie in the Western Hockey League and being put with like a 20-year-old that's, mm-hmm. you know, not very nice, let's say. I'm already having a hard time. Like I got a best friend on the team that I yeah. that I could be in the room with, but they're not putting us together. They're going to put me with this older guy that is sneaking in girls, drinking, yeah. doing whatever, kicking me out of the room because a girl's coming, make, just – not making the time very enjoyable while I'm already covering up all the stuff that was going on with me. So I think it's a really important point to highlight that if anyone is involved in these situations, Mm -hmm. why not, why not try to accommodate people? Like it's not about trying to like, Oh, can, can we, can we test this person to see if we're going to get through? It's like, no, why not try to put them in the best possible situation so that they can have the best possible outcome in their life. And guess what? If you're the coach, yeah. You're gonna want them to have a best possible. You're gonna up. you're gonna get the best version of them as a player. Exactly. Yeah. Like it just it doesn't make sense. So I just wanted to interject there because yeah. I think I just I've never really thought about it until you yeah. you really put that out there. So thank you. Well, and, and it sucks, right? Like it sucks at that level um, to feel like you're pulling favors, to feel like you're causing issues. And then, of course, it becomes conversation, right? It's, oh, well, why does Fisher get this? And why does Fisher get that? And, you know, I want a room to myself. And I'm like, guys, like, trust me, I wish I didn't need it. Yeah. I, wish, I wish I could just go and be carefree and live in the moment. And But the bottom line is, if you want me to be the best goalie I can be, it's a very carefully constructed thing for me in terms of how I have to be with my life. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, there were times that it sucked and it sucked having those conversations and they weren't always easy and they weren't always, they weren't always met with, uh, you know, understanding in a sense of, of course we'll accommodate that. You know, there were times that I had to really advocate for myself and, and there were times that it was very much, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but if it's not possible, I'm not going to be able to come. Um, and and that sounds childlike. It sounds like I'm I'm being a whiner and I hate it. And I hate being put in a position where I was made to feel ever like that's what I was doing. You know, mm-hmm. it was never about trying to be difficult. It was never about wanting preference. It was never about getting my own way. It was about survival. And you know, you kind of tiptoe into it as much as you have to, to get what you need to survive. And, and kind of, as I learned and through the years and, and once I started sharing my story, it was just kind of like, forget it. Like, you know, this is what you get. I I can be the best inline goalie you possibly have, but this is what I need to make that possible. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I, I was fortunate, you know, the organization really, we, we kind of grew that way and we learned and, and I think ultimately they grew to understand better what I was living with and what I was dealing with and it enabled them to kind of advocate for me as well. And, and I imagine that there were times that they had to step in and kind of head off other players, um, 
thoughts on on what might have seemed like me getting preferential treatment but at the end of the day it was you know I was there I was there to be a goalie I was there to play the game I was there to represent Canada I loved my teammates they were you know I've I've really loved learning the sport and I've really loved being a part of it um and and I, I cherish you know I cherish all of those those memories and those and they're all memories that to me were you know unexpected you know I I had a plan for Team Canada hockey I I knew I knew what my life was going to look like and then my life fell apart and I didn't know anything anymore and all of a sudden I got this other opportunity that was just phenomenal um and and had some really great experiences some of my best you know athletic memories have been through through the sport so it's uh it's a great sport and it's one that you know, it's, it was so unknown to me and to see how big that world really is, uh, is, uh, it's pretty cool. It's an amazing sport. I I played inline growing up and and kind of fell in love with again this summer, just rollerblading, playing, uh, just with my rollerblades, but it's growing rapidly too in the last few years. Are you still currently playing or are you involved at all? So I don't know. Um, (laughs) So as of the last worlds that, you know, we, we unfortunately just had uh, a couple of years where the, the uh, pandemic somehow only allowed for the men's teams to go um, mm. something like that. Full stop. Um, so last worlds that took place that team Canada sent a female team. I was there. Um in my mind, am I done? I'd love to play still. Do I know whether or not that that's, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm too old for them yet or not, but uh, I, I still, uh, I still think I have some to give and, and I don't know, you know, it'll, it'll see how it unfolds. And ultimately if it's not with a national program, it's certainly something that I'll, you know, I wouldn't mind getting it. Some... I'm with my headphones. Sorry. I like it. It's good. Put this sweatshirt on because it's from my friends. I thought now was the time when you said that the men were only going. This is a uh, friend yeah. of mine from Oakville, Lifter Up Hockey, and I thought I maybe I would, I, I, I would, uh, I would put it on now and and well plug played. them because that's well excuse my friends. That's bullshit. That's mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's absolute bullshit, and uh, I don't like to hear that at all. Um, sorry, I did miss some things there because I felt like I had to do this. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to plug it later, but I was like, man, this is a, this is a perfect time to do this. And, um, yeah. I'm not sitting here pointing fingers cause this is not an isolated incident by any means. Um, it's time for everybody to start putting more pressure on, on, on equal rights here, especially in hockey yeah. is, is we're, we're hockey players here. If you're watching or listening to this, you're probably involved in the hockey community. I think we're a lot further ahead than we were, but how is that? How is that happening? Regardless if there's COVID or not, no COVID. It's like people want to talk, but where's where's the actions here? Like, come on, I'm not happy I mean, about that bullshit. I, I think that ultimately you get into organizations having uh, the bandwidth to push hard enough for for this much. And I mean, I, I will say this in, in in their defense, not of it, not in defense of of choosing to send one team over another, but I mean, it's a bare bones kind of of. Uh, sport in Canada still it's not as though you're talking about hockey Canada it's not as though you're talking about you know one of the organizations you know when we go to worlds we're paying our way 
where, you know, unless you're fortunate enough to be sponsored or to find sponsorship to help you, you're paying your way, you're, you're covering the bill and, and, you know, the people that are helping out are, are helping out out of the goodness of their heart and, and really wanting to help grow the sport. So, you know, I can understand from one part of it being, you know, the logistics of sending anybody from Canada to the tournaments, given the, you know, the circumstances and the necessity and such, um, I could understand that it was a hell of an undertaking. And in fairness, I wasn't involved enough through the pandemic just because we didn't have teams going to understand it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that a lot of the players in the organization w- with, you know, Team Canada inline have been there for years and have given all of their blood, sweat and tears to even keep the organization going. Um, in general, a hundred percent, I agree with you in general, you know, that equality needs to be a thing and, and that opportunity for sport. I mean, when you were looking at the IHF for, Mm. you know, Christmas canceling the women's tournament, letting the juniors go ahead and, and, that whole fiasco i mean 100 percent. you know I, I think that that can't happen that just that can't happen um especially when there's been so much leading up to that there's been mm-hmm. so much uh it, at least it looked like there was being so much progress made and yeah. all these campaigns and everything and else and when it comes push to shove it's like yeah, yeah you guys aren't going sorry yeah yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, and, and again, I mean, it's 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 most unfortunate because you know, logistically, had you just you know thrown together a bubble and and put them all in it, kept everybody safe, and and made it work and and set it up, you know, we could. Yes. Yeah. Your your frustration is shared, um, but very long sentiment short is you know I don't I don't know I don't know where I'm at with inline at this point. I played for the last team Canada that went to a Worlds and and I'm certainly not close to it at all. I'm probably in the best shape of my life right now. So um, we'll see. And at worst, I'm I'm you know I'm I'm a rental goalie. So if anybody needs a goalie, just let me know because I missed the game. <laughs> Where are you located, anyways? I'm in Toronto, but I'm mobile. You're, you're, you're in Toronto. <laughs> next time, next time, I'm going to the Rink of Dreams. I'm bringing you out. You can suit up and throw the I pads, and we'll go that. We'll we'll go out there and rip around. It'll it. be fun. Before I let you go, I kind of want to I want to talk a little bit too because uh, I don't. I think it was 2014 or 2015. You came out openly gay. Can we mm-hmm. can we talk about that a little bit? I've had a, a lot of my friends shout out too. I just want to. I got to plug Curtis Gabriel. You guys saw him in the intro. He was texting me. He's like, I see you're always you're grinding. Uh, he's he's always watching earlier. Shout out to Curtis. Does a lot of uh, great work in that space. But I'm uh, just kind of curious because you know I've had Brock McGillis on the show and Yannick Deplisi. Um, a few others um, and every story is different um, I'm kind of curious as to what that was like leading up to you especially surrounding maybe uh, your mental health um, yeah. and 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 all of that and, and kind of uh, what life has been like for you uh, since then and also because I always ask three questions in one I need to know 
how you became a firefighter to somewhere in there. Because my dad's a retired firefighter for 35 years. And if I don't I, ask I love me. I love not only do you ask three questions at once, but they're completely unrelated. And I have to all somehow there you go all together in a way that it sounds intelligible. I well, like here, and, and one one comment, Kendra, you are so well spoken. Thank you for sharing. Keep up the great work. Stay safe. Take care from Stuart Smith. Also, he's the assistant fire chief in Abbotsford. So you're well spoken. Have fun with that three and one. Love it. Thanks. I'll give it my best <laughs> shot. So, I mean, for me, my my sexuality growing up, I first off, I, I didn't realize, you know, my my sexuality until at the end of my high school year uh career and i think mostly it it wasn't unknown to me it was just i wasn't focused on on relationships i was focused on sports um and by the time i realized i was in my last year of high school i was actually at an all-girls private school in toronto at that point and so i think it probably helped me to realize it when i was in toronto versus come to that realization while i was still living in a small town rural community of six thousand people and I say that, however, shout out to King Cardin here, because King Cardin is one of the most like yeah. gay friendly towns you will ever, it, we have like one of the best pride parades in the world. It's phenomenal. Um, and so, I mean, for me, you know, there were a couple of reasons that I didn't, so to say, come out until that point. Um, one, because at that point I had already been diagnosed with my illness and I was already sharing my story. And my concern was I didn't want that, that kind of, I didn't want to be pigeonholed. I didn't want the whole, oh, well, clearly her mental illness is to do with the fact that she's a lesbian. Well, no, that's not my story. You know, I, I, yes, sadly, devastatingly, tragically, mental illness and its effect on the LGBTQ community is exponentially higher. Um, That just wasn't my story. And I didn't want to have to try to speak to that story because it wasn't relevant to me. Mm. So, you know, it just wasn't something I spoke about. It wasn't something I was hiding. And I was also in a place where you know, I was raised by a conservative politician, so very traditional family values. And um, at the same time, have never not had the support of my family, have never not been supported. Um, You know, I made my own choices when my mother was an elected member, based on my own knowledge of of politics and, and choosing to just keep it out of, you know, her constituency, not knowing how that would affect her. but again, ultimately coming out in Kincardin never, it was never a problem for me. And so I got to this place actually, and it, it, you know, that whole coming out happened because of the Sochi Olympics. And at the time around the Sochi Olympics, a lot of the conversation was around the fear of persecution for LGBTQ athletes at the Olympics, um, homosexual rights in, in Russia and, you know, athletes declining to go because of the fear of persecution and so on and so forth. So the Canadian Olympic Committee and You Can Play actually as well, um, they created a roundtable discussion leading up to that where they were discussing, you know, athlete movements, uh, primarily an organization that they deemed one team and kind of that inclusion in, in equality in sport and creating a safe space and really eliminating the possibility for uh, discrimination in sport based on sexuality, just because it's, that's not the arena for it. 
Um, and so when I was asked to participate in that discussion, as I said, it was known that I was a, a member of the community. It just wasn't spoken about. Mm. And I was asked, and for me, I kind of hesitated and did the whole, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I want to put my hat in the ring for that one. I just, you know, it's that's separate. That's my life. I, I, I'm not ashamed of it. I have nothing to hide, but I have no reason to. And then I kind of got thinking about it and I, I started thinking about, you know, for me, I was supported and I play women's hockey. It, it was a, it was an accepting uh, atmosphere. The culture, the environment was accepting. I, I was certainly, um, I never felt unsafe. I never felt discriminated against because of my sexuality. It was known, my teammates knew. Um, and so I wasn't in a place where it had ever really affected me negatively in my sport. And then I started to think about the fact that hockey was part of the reason I was still alive. That was the only thing that I managed to continue during the worst years of my life. And had I not felt safe, had I been in an environment where it wasn't okay for me to be myself, would I have had that safe place? And if not, would I have survived that? And so when I kind of changed that perspective and I shone a different light on my experience and the possibility, and I started to think about all of the athletes who don't have that freedom, don't have that safety, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, the NHL, whether it be the NFL, whether it be any professional male sports league, whether it be different areas of the world, um, you know, would I have survived had I not had teammates that were accepting of me? If I didn't have a safe place to go to, um, and I don't know the answer, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know the answer. And so in that moment, I realized that there was absolutely a necessity to lend my voice to that conversation as well. And so I did, I attended that, uh, that round table for one team and, and gladly did, you know, it was, again, it wasn't something for me in terms of ha having to make a grand gesture of coming out. It was one more thing for a whole lot of people that I hadn't considered to be able to relate to and to be able to say, Hey, like, you know, there are people in this space that are, that are open and maybe I don't need to fear this and maybe I can be honest and maybe I can be my most authentic self. And, it, you know, really it's that kind of, it's, it's that whole bullying persona, right? Like you, you know, you stand next to a bully and watch him bully. He's going to keep doing it. You laugh, you egg him on. He's going to keep doing it. But if you stand up and say, come on, man, like, that's not cool all of a sudden they back down a bit. So the more of us to stand up and say, come on, like this, get over it. <laughs> That's it. You right? know? Yeah. Like this conversation that we're even having is like in the, in the future, it's hopeful that this conversation doesn't even have to happen because it's exactly. just, it's just, it's just the way it, it is. is. It That's, is. That is right. It's just and love I, and it's just yeah, and, I, and it's just connection. So I know you want, I know you got to go to bed. You got to, you got to. No, no, no. I was so ready to like, I, I, I like my next sentence was about firefighting. I was okay. just going like, to go right into it. I knew. Okay. I already started to cut you off. I, I <laughs> set up your, your It wasn't at all, but I'm using this segue to get myself over there. Um, I'm not cutting you off either. I feel pressured because you need to go to bed. You take as much time as you want. I got all the time in the world. Yeah, I feel pressure. I, 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 I would say no if I needed to say no. I just happen to be a mother who has no qualms whatsoever putting my five-year-old to bed at seven o'clock and not getting back up. 
So there's no part of me that's like, oh, I got to get up and party till at least 11. I'm like, no, my kids asleep at seven. Why am I getting up right now? <laughs> no um, firefighting. So when I started sharing my journey, I had no clue where it was going to go. Um, I called up my psychologist and, and again, you look at my diagnosis, professional speaking is not like, that's, that's not in the cards for me. Uh, it's like the what second most common phobia in the world. I mean, somebody with anxiety, depression, agoraphobia, OCD, panic, you're not going to stand in front of a room full of people and be comfortable. Um, so I didn't really know what was in the cards for me. I, I, after I heard about Darren Richardson, I went to my psychologist and I had called her up and I was like, you know, I, I want to talk to you about something. I walked in and I, I told her I wanted to help. Um, and she looked at me and she was just kind of, she was so taken aback by it for a moment because I think she was so shocked that that's where I had gotten to. And uh, I asked her if I could help. I was like, I'm never going to be a doctor, never going to be a shrink, never going to, what can I help? And, you know, she looked at me and said, can you share your story? <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. That's a horrible idea. But, you know, my my psychologist was a miracle worker and we talked through it. And, and I, uh, I got to a place where I, I realized, you know, it, it couldn't be worse. It, it couldn't be worse to go share my story than it was to live what I had lived through. And so when I started, it was schools, and then it was teams, and it was organizations, and it was corporate, then it was professional sports teams, and it was Olympians. And and somewhere along the way, I started getting into first responders and healthcare. Um, and I started to kind of learn that, that place in first response uh, from a mental health perspective and did a lot of work with the Ministry of Labor around, you know, PTSD and and really kind of trying to change that experience for first responders, which I have always found very similar to athletics. You know, it's that, it's that, how do we make it okay for this group of people who are seen to be elite and uh, unbreakable and untouchable? How do we make it okay for them to not be okay? How, How do we, how do they stay as effective in who they are and what they're doing in moments that they're falling apart. You know, where's that, where's that middle ground? Um, and so I had worked with a lot of, you know, departments kind of from the top down and, and worked personally with a lot of first responders one-on-one and, and at the same time, personal life, kids are coming into the picture at this, at this point, I'm just a professional speaker. That's all I'm doing. That's my, my income. Start doing that whole mature, Maybe benefits aren't a bad idea. Maybe stability is not a bad idea. Maybe, you know, a plan beyond people are going to want to hear my story for the rest of my life isn't a bad idea. And uh, (laughs) thank God, given pandemic, I did that. Um, But uh, yeah, so I started looking into it and I just, it, it appealed to me. I mean, I'm somebody who wants to go on my way to help people. I'm somebody who wants to stay active. I love being a part of a team. I have no troubles being coached. I have no troubles being told what to do. Um, It just was a really, it was a really good cultural fit for me in terms of what a job could be. And there was this other piece of me that kind of secretly was like, I think I can help. Like, I think I can make a difference in terms of this, this piece 
in in first response, which is huge. I mean, there's no secret, you know, in terms of what first responders face when it comes to mental health issues. Um, and so then there's this other piece of me too that that is the overachiever part of me that is I love to prove myself wrong and I, I certainly want to prove everybody else wrong. I want to be the firefighter who has anxiety and panic and depression and OCD and agoraphobia. And I want to show the rest of the world that those things make me a better firefighter, not a worse one. You know, those things don't slow me down. Those things don't make me incapable. Those things don't define what I can and can't do. Those things make me really relatable to the 80% of the medical calls that we're responding to, to people in crisis who are having the worst moment of their life and, you know, might benefit from somebody being able to connect on that level. It's, it's mm -hmm. me having trained for the past 20 years to manage my mental health so that when I'm faced with crisis, when I'm faced with chaos, I have the supports in place to get through those moments. You know, a lot of firefighters physically phenomenally well-trained, but nobody's done more training than I have for if you face a horrible situation day after day after day after day, how are you going to persevere? What are you going to do? And it was funny because that was actually a question I was asked during my interview was, you know, what are you going to do that, that day when you have the most the most horrible day, the most horrible call, the most, you know, how are you going to face that? What are you going to do? Are, are you going to go drink? Are you going to shut down? Is it going to break you? Are you going to pretend it never happened? Um, it, you know, and it's, it, 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 my answer was easy. My answer was, I'm going to do the same thing I do every time that I hit rock bottom, which is I'm going to make sure every one of my supports is in place. And I'm going to take all the right steps to make sure I get better. And I'm going to keep taking those steps until I work through it, you know, and, and sure enough, and, and a testament to that, I mean, and I don't know if you know this about me or not, I'm not meaning to drop the like biggest bomb of life on you, but, uh, uh, you know, we lost one of our, our sons a few years ago. Um, my wife was 32 weeks pregnant and, uh, I was actually in recruit class as a firefighter when we found out and, uh, you know, it, it was horrible. It, it was, uh, it took three days to deliver him. It was not a good experience. Um, you know, and, and you, you wonder how you get through that. You wonder how you recover from that. You wonder what you do next, you know, and, and the resiliency that you have to apply to living with mental illness, you know, it, it translates into so much in life and there's so much, that I've been forced to learn because of my illness that has enabled me to kind of better prepare to put a team of supports in place when I can't support myself. And it, it, I, I have no qualms whatsoever with being that vulnerable. I have no problems whatsoever saying, guys, like, I'm shit today. I'm not okay today. I, you know, I'm going to need an extra hug today. I'm going to need somebody just to just fill this space with me. I don't want an empty room today, you know, and, and it's acceptable for me to do those things because I've lived openly with my mental illness. But because of that now, I don't struggle to do that with any other part of my life. I'm, I'm actually, I have tears in my eyes and uh, I'm, <laughs> 
I'm really sorry that you guys had to go through that. Um, I appreciate you being able to share that and, and just the, the strength that it takes to, to get through something like that. I can't even imagine. Um, you're a very special person, Kendra. You are a very, very special. You're a gift. Um, you're a gift to this planet. And I'm grateful to have you on the other end of this and to now hopefully call you a friend. I, the world is such a better place uh, for having you in it. And I think that you know, I, I feel this way about where I'm at today. And I know I have a long ways to go, but I know that at least I feel comfortable in my heart that, you know, my trajectory as a hockey player, yeah, maybe it didn't work out the way that I wanted and things, you know, and all of that, but I'm, I'm in exactly the place that I'm supposed to be. And I believe that you have been doing all of this work for a long time. And can you imagine the people that you've helped in over the years and the messages and everything else? I've been doing it for a short period of time. Can't even imagine. And you did it way before it was, um, more, like I said, widely accepted. Um, I still think we have a long ways to go. I wanted to talk more about that. Uh, I already hit you up before we started. I said, we're, I can already tell we're going to have to do a part two of this, part three, four, five. That's good. Yeah, you, have, you ever, have you ever heard of this book, The Unbroken, A Firefighter's Memoir? I don't Steve. think so. So I'm in the, I'm just about to start reading it. Actually, my dad's, I think, sending me one too, but Stuart actually has sent Steve Serbic, firefighter. He actually reached out to me. Uh, he's got a, a podcast. He does mental health work too. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you after. I think that this is some, somebody that you definitely need to, uh, to connect with. He does a lot of uh, work in that space. And if he um, hears of you, uh, he's, he's gonna be like, Whoa, like, you know, I can just see, um, Kendra, you're, you're honestly, you're amazing. We haven't really spoken prior to this, uh, other than message, but I've been following you and, and seen pretty much everything that's out there over the last few months. Um, and I just, I, I really hope that there's a time where you and I, um, and other like-minded people can, can become aligned. And that's maybe what we can talk about on the next show and, and possibly off, off the air. And there's different things that yeah. you've done and that I've done that maybe that you're doing that I'm doing where we can work together, or come together. Because as I've heard you talk, allude to a lot in other interviews, and this is really, we'll save it for part two, is, is coming up with a national solution. Like, oh, 100%. here we are, here we are. We're talking about it. We got Bell Let's Talk Day coming up. They do a lot of great work. Other organizations do a lot of great work. But as you know, especially from your early journey, there was not really a whole lot of places to go to then. And we're yeah. further ahead now. But as somebody who's gone through that cycle and mix of psych wards and detoxes yeah. and counselors and therapy and all of it, and just yeah. trying to navigate that space and trying to like rely on other like whether it be the government for support, if you're really down and out or whatever, it's a very, yeah. be very, very challenging, very challenging. And um, I just, I think that more needs to be done. Is there something that you maybe want to comment? Cause you, you've been doing this a lot longer and the way that you've expressed it in some of the ways that it's like, wow, like there does, like we need to take action. Yeah. We need it. Well, and I think that's the thing for me. I mean, you know, I, I am somebody who hates the word stigma. I think it's, I think it's, we've done, We've done enough talking about stigma. Um, I, I don't appreciate it when people correct my language. Don't tell me that I don't have a mental illness and that I have a mental health issue. It, it, it like it's uh, I, to me when we start focusing on those little things, we get away from the issue. You know, we don't need to learn how to talk politely about something that's awkward and horrible and uncomfortable to pretend that we're doing better. 
there's so many areas we're not doing anywhere near enough. And further to that, you know, here we are running with this kind of parallel pandemic right now that, you know, the world is only just starting to see the beginning of, you know, we sadly are seeing the stats coming out, you know, BC and, you know, some of the other hotspots in terms of overdose rates and statistics. And I mean, alcoholism is at an all-time high and drug use is at an all-time high and mental health is at an all-time crisis. You know, there was already a level of crisis prior to this pandemic that we weren't addressing and we didn't have the infrastructure to support. And now we have this massive influx in terms of, you know, youth and, and teens. I think that, you know, the, the, I saw the statistics come out the other day and it was just astronomical how much higher the instance of suicide and attempted suicide up to and including young adults has become in this past year alone. And it's, you know, we've taken away coping, we've taken away social, we've taken away so many facets of what is required to keep young people healthy right now. And we've put them in environments by no, by no ill will of their parents or of theirs into a place where they don't have the support. And, you know, here we are as parents existing in chaos and fear and, you know, the unknown. And of course, kids are picking up on that. And and I mean, this is it's infinite. The trickle down from this pandemic and what it's done to people's mental health is just infinite. And, you know, we're 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 going to be playing catch up for so long. Um, And I think a lot of that action, you know, right now has to kind of. It become more community-based and more uh, peer-to-peer based. And I think it's going to be a matter of as many of us as possible showing up because ultimately, if we wait for a national infrastructure to be put in place, we're going to lose far too many people waiting. And I think ultimately, the more we have conversations like this, the more safe spaces we create, you don't have to be an expert to show up for somebody. You don't even have to have a clue what you're talking about. Just show up. How are you? And if the answer is clearly not good, you know what, man, I'm coming over. I'm coming over. We're going to go for a walk. We'll put on our masks and we'll walk six feet apart. And, but we're going to go for a walk. I'm not going to call you and I'm not going to say, Hey, you're doing horrible. You should go for a walk. No, I'm going to come with you, you know? And it's, it's just those little nuances make the world a difference. It's, it's instead of giving somebody advice, give them an offer to, to be present and, Right now, I think so much. We just we we need to find ways to be present in each other's lives right now. I know. I said it uh, just prior to dinner tonight. We were sitting down. I said the world was so much better without cell phones. And I mean, in, in technology. And listen, it has its perks. We kind of went back and forth. But just just I and I said, do you remember just existing around people and being in their mm-hmm. presence and, and just like if you're in a room with someone, there's like one landline and like. There may be a TV that had like 30 channels. Like you're not, you're, you're, you're you're talking, you're having real connection. And it seems like that's so lost through all of this. uh, And even more so through COVID I've noticed for me, when I have been able to disconnect from that side, which has been very difficult, a huge downfall in my life is, is my phone and everything causes way too much stress and takes up way too much of my time. But I find when I'm able to just, decompress like wow and i'm having a real conversation like and if, if yeah. I just dial into that for a second and and make 
and, and take it and see how it makes me feel and, and, and realize what's going on, it has a pretty profound effect. And I've, I've just starting to realize how much I've lost that in my life and, and maybe the world as well. It, well, it's so tough, right? Because it's, it, you know, in the beginning, when I started this, I, 100%, I was like, no, like, no, online, online psychology and like texting helplines, like, what a horrible idea, saying that we're helping somebody by telling them they could sit in their dark basement by themselves, you know, messing with their phone and thinking that that's a connection. Um, you know, and I've, I've kind of had to reevaluate this a thousand times over and especially with COVID because my God, could you imagine where we'd be if we didn't have it? Could you imagine where, you know, we would all be right now if COVID existed and we didn't have FaceTime and we didn't have the ability to have, you know, Zoom and, and all of these, these medians to be able to at least stay in touch by some level. Mm. Um, but I agree, you know, what we've lost is, is connection in a way that we need to learn how to evolve. And I hate saying it because I, you know, I would, the bane of my existence is that evolution of, you know, when I was a kid, I'd walk over to my friend's house and I'd knock on the door and I'd be like, hey, you want to do something? Yeah, do that and then piss off at you. Right? And then, well, no, now it's like, so then we went from that to like, I should at least call first. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do the whole like rotary phone and I'm going to call you first and I'm going to pray it's not busy because we didn't have call waiting yet. <laughs> and I'm going to rotary phone this a billion times and then you're going to drop it too early on the nine and have to start over and be cursing. <laughs> but you know, you're going to get there and eventually you're going to get your buddy on the phone and it's going to be like, you want to get together and then you're going to get past that. And you know, and now we've got to a place where it's like, I got to text you to ask you if it's okay if I phone you. Because yeah. it's, it's even rude if I just phone you without texting you first to tell you I'm gonna to tell you I'm gonna phone you, and you know it's it's that that level of disconnect is is what bothers me. You know I'm 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 learning and I'm trying to learn and and one of the things that I've learned through speaking with students as much as I do is I have to stay up on it. I have to stay up on the technology. I gotta understand crypto. I gotta understand NFTs. I gotta know what's going on because these spaces are massive and you know, there, there's this entire other world out there that is going to take over whether we like it or not. I know. And if I don't understand it, how can I support it? How can I be there? How can I, how can I find a way to stay present and still share the lessons and the education that can still be applied just maybe differently. And so it's, you know, for me, I've tried to kind of take a step out of my, my, old self for a second where I get, you know, pissed off that I can't just go knock on my friend's door and uh, try to make the tech work for us. Um, you know, and I think there's a middle ground for everything. But right now, I think just the necessity to show up and the necessity to be present is just at an all time high. And the most incredible thing you could give anybody right now is your time. You know, there's very few people who are going to and I hate how drastic this sounds, but it's true. Not too many people are going to hurt themselves if they're sitting in a room with somebody. And, uh, you know, that's the difference. It's it's getting people through that really intense moment of darkness and that really intense moment of pain. And and sometimes if all you're doing is, is you know, filling a space in that room to make it a little less terrifying, then you're doing more than you could ever imagine. And we all have that ability right now. And I think that that's something that we all need to focus on. Cause I think if we focus on what we don't have, 
you know, we're going to infinitely drown in this. That's how I, that's how I feel about that. If, if I had my other mic, hold on, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can pretend there mic drop, <laughs> mic drop with my other mic that's not even connected okay at um, least we didn't have the like goal light going off i don't, I don't I, yeah that. i don't i don't have a goal light i have a puck support light but it, it already has a glare on it i had to turn it off it has even more of a glare on it if i turn it turn it on um kendra i wanna i i want to do this again like soon because 100%. i can already tell you the the feedback is this already coming in i don't even have time to get to all the comments and stuff i do want to get to one um from the minor family particularly michelle but i know Tom's probably watching there beside her. Uh, so thanks for sharing openly. You're a powerful lifelong story of mental illness. So very well spoken. You are very, you. very, very well spoken in the way that you're able to uh, just share your story. I think it's it's there's something powerful to the just your presence, your charisma. And uh, obviously, you've been doing it for a long time. And you've started to see the power of you know, sharing your story. It's a, it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to do Thank it. And it's a much. gift for, you know, for all of us to be able to, to hear it. And for all of those that have had a chance to, to hear, do you have plans of, of going back and, and doing that once things oh, 100%. are? 100%. I, you know what, I, I signed a, I signed with a literary agent uh, a couple months back. So I'm, I'm actually writing my book right now. Ah, um, I was going to ask that too. Yeah. And I, I've been asked it a billion times and I promised I'd never write it until I was ready to, to be as unedited as I needed to be to be able to address everything. And so yeah. working through that process, which is a whole other level of uh, intensity, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I haven't gone anywhere. I, I've still done everything I can staying virtual. Um, I'm still doing talks virtually and stuff. I, I can't wait to get back out into communities and get into organizations. Um, you know, you send me a toque and I'll come up to Gravenhurst and I'll, I'll do that walk with you. I was, uh, gonna, I was actually just going to suggest that the next time we do this podcast, it's it's here. Sit down. I got a couple mics. I'm working on a different camera setup. It's only been if you get me the toque, though. Yeah. That might be yeah, the best okay. toque I've seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get That's you. That's it. I got, right. I got another toque for you too. Uh, we'll get you with a, we got a couple, we got a couple toques for you. When you told me you were doing toques and sweats today, I was like, oh, this is, he's made for me. This is perfect. <laughs> I, like, I'm, I'm, crawling this. Into, I'm crawling into bed with my toque and a, and a sweatshirt on and I'm going to roll over, set my alarm and then I'm going to call you at 4.30 in the morning while I'm driving to work. <laughs> by all means by all means do it by all means do it and you're listen i i honestly i appreciate your time and once again thank you for being a champion for for so many 2010 people 2010 is when she started to do this take that into consideration for a second take that into consideration for a second so like how amazing. old i am you want you want them to really consider how old i am they could just look on Wikipedia like me if if they yeah, want. I don't even like. I gotta look at that. I don't even know what's on there. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Your birthday is October 20th. I'll just leave right. it at that. There right? it is, right? Just, and, well, now you gotta buy me a present. Like, look what you just. Now I know you know. So if I don't at least get a message saying happy birthday, my <laughs> you'll, day's you'll, be you'll get a message. I'll put it in. No, <laughs> it's noted. It's circled, yeah. and I'm, okay, I mean good. it. I mean it. I'll have a reminder in my phone. Um, yeah, very much looking forward to doing this again. Let's get connected. I would love to have you up here for the walk. We can talk about that. Talk yeah, about Joe sure. and 
um, I would love to bring you in up like kind of up to speed with what's going on behind the scenes with puck support and kind of the goals and how I could really see you uh, playing a big part in that. And again, like everything that I'm doing, trying to do with puck support is I'm really trying to get away from me having like, I know I'm not the guy, like I know I'm not the guy, especially not now, like maybe in 10 years from now, but we need more like as many people and like i just foresee this being something big and if it's not yeah. that maybe it's something else like i just want to help people much like you bringing yeah, people cool. together and i feel like i have this like overwhelming sense that like i told you earlier you're a special person i don't know if anyone's thank ever come to tell you that but you are kendra and uh, i just thank you for your time and thank you for oh, it's been a pleasure. that you are and i look forward to doing this again in person because i know that you really wanted to get up here to do it in person of I course think. Of course. It's and some- I want to get up there and skate. Like, I see your videos coming up every day. You, you tell around on the ring. You you tell me when you have a day and you, you will we'll do it. I'm, I'm in. probably more flexible than you. So, anyways, get to sleep. Have a will great shift. Thank you for your, your service. And you. all the firefighters out there, my dad's watching, Stuart's watching, all you guys. Thank you. It's uh it's a, it's a tough job. My dad, I know my dad and a lot of others pay the price every day for the stuff that they deal with. It's not yeah. easy. Um, yeah. It's not easy. So thank you. And uh, I, it's not even a question. You're making a huge impact. I know you are Thanks. in your line of work is what I'm saying. So Kendra, thank you so much. Pleasure. Take care. Okay. Have a good night. Yeah. Bye-bye. That's Kendra Fisher. How's that for an episode? I loved every second of that. What an incredible human, be- human being. I can't even talk. I need to get a drink of water. I talk way too much. One commercial. We'll be right back to wrap up the show. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leobold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Awesome. Go check out Team Issued on Instagram. Support their cause. If you're new to the show and you don't know what Team Issued is, that's my former teammate, Jesse Paradis. With the Kelowna Rockets, he was a young 16-year-old boy when I met him. He's now a CPA out there in Winnipeg, CEO, founder, owner of Team Issued Limited clothing brand. Go check them out. They've been with us since the third episode of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. That's like 150 episodes ago. So they've been around. Jesse, thank you for your support. Regan Bartell from the Kelowna Rockets, my favorite voice in all of sport. Thank you so much. Um, I don't have anything profound to say tonight at the end of the show. Too much. I, I want to once again circle back to, to Dan Fumano and, and the province. Um, if you haven't read the article, uh, that's okay. Um, if there's one thing that I'd like you guys to read and what means the most to me are these letters to the editor. Never mind they put the L-E-O, not L-E-A, they spelt my name wrong on this one, but hey, we'll let it slide. It's happened my entire life. I get Braddy, Brandy, Bradley, Leveled, you name it. Uh, it's never right. But this headline came out uh, 17 hours ago online, I think today's newspaper. And it says, like, all young hockey players should read Brady Leveled's story. And 
you know, I read that it brought tears to my eyes. And for a couple of reasons, one, when I first read it, it was like, I had a, a brief time of reflection where it was like, holy, holy, like I really went through some hell here uh, and took me a second, but I bounced out of it. But I have those moments where like I, I go back and like I realize the things that have happened to me um, I'm in a much better place today with that. But the choices that I made and the stories that people haven't heard like you guys watching or listening, the 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 depths that I went to get and serve my addiction, just serve my addiction. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I did that is unthinkable, but in the life of an addict, it's not. It's it's really par for the course, and that's a place that I never thought I would be. And I think that's why it's important for people like myself, people like Kendra, others who have shared their story so openly, just to put it out there, because there are people out there that have gone through or are going through similar things regardless. And um, I really have hope that by sharing my story, maybe somewhere out there, it will save a life. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe in a year or five years from now, there'll be a young boy that you know, was told this story and gets offered drugs. And he says, no, he's made a choice. He'll never do drugs. And that's it. Or I mean, the, so many roads I could go down there with the, the possibilities, but you guys get what I'm saying. And I'm just very fortunate uh, to be in this position. Um, I don't take it lightly. It's not, it hasn't been easy, uh, any of it. And it goes back to what Kendra was talking about. There's no quick fix for any of this, for mental illness, for addiction. When something is is not right um, and is, I want to, don't really want to say severe, but as severe as a mental illness or addiction, uh, it's a process to get out of it. There's just no two ways. There's just no two ways about it. It took me a long time of doing things my way and, and trying to will my way out of it. And uh, it was always seemingly the same result, except that result would just continue to get worse for me. And I would end up in worse places. And before you know it, it, it just got so bad that I'd given up. But here I am, and I say it all the time. Uh, today is January the 18th. Uh, and on February the 8th will be two years since I last stuck a needle in my arm. And I'll say it candidly, because that's the way it was. Um, and I never thought that I would get away from that or any of the hell that I was living in. And, you know, I'm living proof. And there's many people out there that are living proof that there is a better life. Not every, not every path is going to lead us um, to where we want to go. But we're forced to make choices every single day. And those choices will make an impact on our life today, tomorrow, in the future. And to get back on track, sometimes it just starts with making that next right choice. Where are we today? What's the next right choice to make? Doesn't work. Doesn't matter about tomorrow. Let's just live in this moment. What's the next right choice to make for me to either get out of the hell that I'm living in or to achieve my goals, whatever that looks like. And that's how I break down things for me. And that's how I sometimes get through my day is I get overwhelmed. And it's like, how the hell am I going to get out of this or do this or figure this out? And it's like, let's just make the next right choice for this moment. 
and it's worked for me. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you guys watching or listening, but try it out. Just stop and think and just make that next right choice. Don't worry too much about down the road. Just in that moment, just for a moment, be present, like Kendra said. Anyways, we'll be back here next Tuesday. Um, for sure, was going to do one Thursday this week, but I think we're going to take Thursday off. We'll be back to twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays moving forward. We have some amazing guests lined up. Um, got a really cool phone call from DJ Smith from the Ottawa Senators. I think I shared this with you guys uh, last episode. Maybe, maybe not. Um, him and Pierre Maguire actually uh, gave me a call and uh, you know just offered their support and kind words and um, going to get some pretty cool guests lined up down the road, put it that way. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please press like, please press subscribe, please turn on the notification bell. I think that's what you're supposed to do. That's what everybody else says. Like, subscribe, notification. And I just sound like every other YouTuber out there, right? Anyways, if you're watching on Facebook, if you could please scoot over uh, to YouTube, I'm trying in the near future to get away from Facebook completely for my podcast, other than just having the page and maybe posting clips. But if you want to watch the live show, you're going to have to do it on YouTube moving forward very, very quickly. Um, sorry if that's inconvenient. It just makes it easier moving forward for the things that I want to accomplish with this podcast. It's all analytics and trying to condense it into one. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I've been advised to do it. So that's what we're doing. Um, just appreciate all of you. If you're listening on audio, share it with your friends. Subscribe if you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. That's how I... I, I should say I heavily rely on all of you and I'm so grateful for all of your time and just anytime you share anything on Facebook or whatever, you, you never know who it may connect with. And I just am so thankful for all of you. There was one more thing that I wanted to add. Yes. Coldest night of the year, the yellow toque. If you're just joining the show, the yellow toque, coldest night of the year. If you follow me on social media, Hit my link tree, the link in my bio on my Instagram, on my TikTok, on Facebook, I believe. Uh, there's a link in there. If you want to join my team, regardless of where you live, you can join the Puck Support team and you can raise money for uh, my team, regardless of where you are. You can take part in their walk for my team, regardless of where you're at. Um, yeah, and you can help us raise some money for a great cause. I this is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And I live in the town of Gravenhurst right now. And Gravenhurst Against Poverty is, is a great cause up here. And uh, I plan to do a lot of work with them in the future. Uh, and this is where it starts. So check it out. The link, uh, follow at C-N-O-Y-O-R-G on Instagram and uh, Gravenhurst Against Poverty. Anyways, that's it. My voice is gone. It's enough for me. See you guys back here on next Tuesday. If you're struggling, please don't give up on yourself. There is a better life out there. I promise it is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart, but it just seems more difficult than maybe what you're doing right now. But after you get to a certain point, reflecting back on all the struggle, it still might be hard, but it's nothing is as hard as that struggle. I promise you that. I promise you that. Anyways, guys, 
shout out to Brody Kirbyson down there and Barry um, does a lot for me behind the scenes uh, on social media, trying to uh, get people going to the right places. Brody, thank you so much. Had him and his little guy, Leo, up here the other day. Got Leo all outfitted in his pain is real hoodie. Pucksupport.com at Pucksupport. If you're going to shop, use the promo code HOPE. We will see you guys Tuesday night. Take care of each other. Be kind. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. I want the real stuff, everybody listen up Cause I'll only say it once, I'm gonna show you all the path If you want it bad, I'm gonna show you every side Yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done I'll be number one, working hella hard until I get just what I want Yeah, rise just like the sun, yeah, fade like a gun Shooter's gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot until I fall Always do it alone, so I gotta get through it And the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing Never give up, never slow till I finally prove it. Never listen to the nose, I just wanna keep moving. Yeah, I put out all the heart, it's my only medicine. Yeah, everything I do, I'm just being genuine. Yeah, I'm sick of being screwed, feel my own adrenaline. Yeah, I do just what I do, and I hope you let me in, let me in. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, no label, oh yeah, you know me, I am.